Hello, and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pints is an American soccer podcast where we cover everything we can about U.S. soccer, Americans in Europe, Major League Soccer, and many other exciting topics. Not only that, but we also enjoy a nice pint or two during these chats. So pour yourself a beverage, if you're of age, of course, and let's get into it. Last Friday, we teamed up with Chris Kerr for a Gold Cup preview for our U.S. men's national team. We spoke about the Nations League performances, and we chatted through other topics as well. Today will be a much shorter episode than the hour we got to spend with Chris, but we will recap the first two matches that the U.S. has played thus far in the Gold Cup and go over what has gone well, what hasn't, who has looked good, who hasn't. We will also preview our final group stage match coming up this Sunday against Trinidad and Tobago, and then we'll wrap things up with a few final thoughts of the week as we've had some transfer movement for some of our A-squad players, we have finalized two friendlies for September, and much, much more. But first, let's kick off with our weekly beer feature, and today we have a very well-known brewery for you, Atlanta beer lovers, but also one who has just recently opened up a new location in Charlotte, North Carolina. And since I will be headed to Charlotte on Sunday for the final Gold Cup group match, I figured this was the perfect choice for this week. So this week we are featuring Monday Night Brewing and specifically their Blood Orange IPA called Blind Pirate, which is 7.4% in alcohol and really is a juicy hot bomb with real bits of blood orange brewed with this one. It's one of their year-round options. So whether you are visiting in Atlanta, Charlotte, Nashville, or Birmingham, where Monday night has all locations, you'll be able to get your hands on this one. Monday night opened in Charlotte just last Saturday on June 24th, so barely a week old at this point, right in the heart of South End. As the brewery's fifth tap room overall, this location offers a full pizza kitchen and is located in a converted mechanic shop with over 8,000 square feet inside and over one acre of outdoor space to make this a prime visiting location. The best part of it all is that they will feature over 40 tap lines, including this Blind Pirate and many other year-round beers like Taco Tuesday, Barrel Aged Sours, and plenty from their Hop Hut's Experimental IPA Collection, which I can't wait to try on Sunday. If you're not into beer, first of all, get your life together. But second of all, this location will also feature full bar service as well. So thank you to Monday Night for being this week's beer feature. Cheers. All right. Well, I want to spend the first bit of today going over the results from our first two group stage matches against Jamaica this past Saturday and St. Kitts and Nevis from Wednesday night. But I want to do things a little bit differently today. Kind of give this a change of pace rather than just spewing out the lineups and breaking down each individual performance and whatnot. Of course, I will still give plenty of info about the matches, but based off of the questions that people have asked me all week, I figured let's just combine the two matches and all of the questions and have more of an open chat about it. Most of the time when people say this phrase, it's like sticking a big middle finger up at someone. But with all due respect, I don't value this tournament very much. With all due respect, there is not much to evaluate from a performance perspective. With all due respect, it is clear that the players in the squad are not currently at a high enough level to be considered first team talent yet, outside of Matt Turner, that is. Again, I want to win the Gold Cup. I want to win any tournament we play in, 
But knowing that the U.S. doesn't prioritize this tournament anymore tells you everything you need to know about it. It's more developmental. The competition is weak. If we brought out our A-team squad, we could close our eyes and make the final. And we still might with a B slash C squad out there. I think for the players in this group, it's still a special moment for them. It still very much means something, and it should. This is their opportunity to make a case for themselves moving forward. This is their opportunity to get international experience, whether that's CONCACAF or not. This is great exposure for them. With all due respect, though, in most cases, performances here will hurt them more than help them. And I will get into what I mean by that here in a second. First things first, let's take a look at the result against Jamaica. I know Chris and I previewed this last week, but Jamaica actually came into the tournament with the most European club-based players with 15 on their squad. They are looked looked at as favorites to win the tournament along with the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. We knew it would be the toughest test of this group. What a lot of people don't understand, the Gold Cup for countries like Jamaica, St. Kitts and Nevis, and Trinidad and Tobago, this is like their World Cup. This is one of the biggest tournaments that can happen for their countries. They bring their top squad every single edition of this tournament. This would be one of the top achievements that they could ever accomplish if they won. And yes, before you fact check me, I know Jamaica made the World Cup back in 1998, and I know Trinidad and Tobago made it in 2006, but you get what I'm saying here. They take it very seriously compared to the U.S. And in the, in the 13th minute of the game, the U.S. found themselves down 1-0 to Jamaica after some poor defending by the U.S. on a free kick, and Jamaica headed the ball into the net for the lead. Things looked to get worse for the U.S. in the 29th minute when Aiden Morris gave away a bad foul in the penalty area. But thankfully, the U.S. brought in their first-choice goalkeeper in Matt Turner, who saved the spot kick to keep things at 1-0. And that's exactly how they went into halftime. The U.S. looked like a team full of nerves, full of inexperience, and a team that was struggling with the pace and strength of Jamaica. The second half was a different story, however. The U.S. regained some composure, kept more of the possession, and defensively killed off any attack that Jamaica had. And in the 88th minute, the U.S. finally leveled it up after a Jesus Ferreira cross deflected off of a Jamaican defender right to the foot of Brandon Vasquez, who made no mistake about it and put the ball into the net to tie the match at 1-1, which is how things ended. Was that a quick enough recap for you? There just isn't a lot to unpack on this one. We tied. Should we have won? Probably. Should we have lost? We easily could have. A draw is a fair result for me. Coach BJ Callahan said it best after the match. The biggest takeaway is the same thing he has told the squad throughout their prep, which is to just focus on getting better every single day. If you push to get better, you will improve. You will find more success. You will learn from it. And again, you will get better. There were a lot of learning moments, but also, again, as Callahan stated, there were just also a lot of great responses that they can build on one game at a time. For me, I was asked about the lineup choices, specifically in defense and why we decided to start Aaron Long and DeAndre Yedlin over guys like Jalen Neal and Brian Reynolds. We saw Neal come into the squad at halftime, and he was a difference maker. A 19-year-old who looked more mature, more comfortable on the ball, defending against three attackers who all play in the Premier League, that's not something to just overlook. Neal was brilliant. 
He absolutely looked the part, and I think he surprised a lot of people. As for why we went with Long and Yedlin, I think the easy answer is because they are veterans with experience, and against a squad like Jamaica, you don't want to risk the younger guys going out there and losing confidence if things go poorly. But then again, the purpose of this tournament is about getting better and growth and development, so why not throw them right into the fire? Well, that was answered with our second match against St. Kitts and Nevis, the first ever meeting between the U.S. and the tiny island nation of around 50,000 people. On paper, obviously it doesn't matter what squad the U.S. brought. The U.S. should win. Then again, Canada drew 2-2 with Guadalupe on Monday night, so anything is technically possible. Callahan made a ton of changes to the lineup on Wednesday, and I know, I didn't go through the entire lineup for Jamaica, and I'm not going to for this match either. I would just rather highlight certain players today. But basically, we changed out seven guys for the match. The worry with this match wasn't really about potentially losing it. The worry was, how many goals can we stack up for goal differential purposes? I think what Chris and I didn't explain last week was that the top two teams from each group advanced to the quarterfinals. Since we drew with Jamaica, we most likely will each end up on seven points when all is said and done. That means we need to have a higher goal differential than Jamaica by the end of Sunday night after the final group matches. Jamaica played right before the U.S. and St. Kitts and Nevis, and that ended with a 4-1 win for Jamaica, which I have to say was an impressive win for the reggae boys. So the U.S. makes all of these changes. They are playing a much smaller opponent. So what happened? Well, we absolutely stepped on their throats from the opening whistle and made it known that we were superior. And it might have taken 12 minutes when Jordi Mihailovic started the scoring on the night, but once that happened the floodgates opened up, and there was no looking back. After Gianluca Buggio made a great run in behind the defense, he crossed the ball into the box to an on-roaching Mihaljevic who made no mistake about it and buried it into the top corner of the net for a 1-0 lead. Two minutes later, the U.S. won a corner kick that Alex Dejas delivered into the box. It found itself to a wide-open Brian Reynolds who hit an absolute rocket from just outside of the box to make it 2-0. A special moment for Reynolds, too, as he was celebrating his 22nd birthday with his first ever national team goal. Don't blink, they say. Two minutes after that, Bugio played a through ball into Ferreira, who had a fine finish into the side netting to make it 3-0 after 16 minutes. Nine minutes later, Ferreira got a second on the night after a Mihailovic through ball put him through one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper, and Ferreira put it between his legs for a 4-0 lead, which ultimately is where we stood at halftime. A solid, if not expected, half for the Americans. But honestly, we needed more. It's bad to run the score up on teams, but it's the way the tournament is played out, and it sets up an easier path to the final by winning the top spot overall. So more goals were needed. Five minutes into the second half, Ferreira netted his hat trick, making the score 5-0 with another assist from Mihailovic. And in the 79th minute, the U.S. wrapped up their scoring and the match when Mihailovic got his second of the night off an assist from Christian Roldan to finish at 6-0. With the result, the U.S. moved into first place of the group, tied on points with Jamaica at four, but leading on gold differential for the moment at plus three. So, who stood out? Who isn't taking their chance? What should we think after these first two matches? All questions I've been asked and I'm going to answer for you. If you were to watch Fox Soccer's coverage with Alexi Lalas, they would make you believe, 
or I should say Alexi would make you believe that Jesus Ferreira should be our first choice striker over Ballo or Pepe now because he scored a hat trick against a CONCACAF opponent in a tournament match. I think Alexi has taken one too many knocks to the head with that kind of thinking. I appreciate Ferreira's efforts on the night, but a hat trick against St. Kitts and Nevis isn't anything to boast about. It also took him about 12 shots to make it happen. He was wasteful with many other opportunities. Sure, Ferreira now has 11 goals in only 20 national team appearances. That's a great stat. But when you break down the goals he has actually scored for the national team and the opponents he has got them against, it's not that impressive. Let's take a look at it. He scored twice against Trinidad and Tobago back in 2021 in a 7-0 win in a friendly. He scored once against Panama in a 5-1 World Cup qualifying win. He scored four goals against Grenada last summer in a 5-0 win, uh, Nations League group, group match win. This past April, he scored in a friendly against Mexico in a 1-1 draw. Seems impressive, but both squads were missing their European players. And then finally, Wednesday night, he gets his three goals. It's just not impressive to me. He has had other opportunities and other big moments, most notably against the Netherlands when Greg Berhalter decided to start him for whatever reason in the knockout match when he hadn't featured it all, and he absolutely looked lost and out of his element. And he was. I don't think it's disrespectful to say it. He is only 22 years old. He is having success in MLS, but he needs to challenge himself in a tougher environment if he wants to be a contributor with the top squad of the national team. I don't know why Alexi thinks he should be put on this pedestal because of a hat trick against St. Kitts and Nevis. With all due respect, I should add. Let's quickly go over who has stood out to me. Reynolds looked fantastic. Again, awesome moment for him with his goal on his birthday. It's tough to evaluate him defensively, though, because he just wasn't tested on the night at all. But I think he showed his potential moving forward in the attack. Mihailovic and Bugio were absolute different make, difference makers, creating chances in the midfield. James Sands, he's looked solid in the defensive midfield role for both matches. And then Jalen Neal, by far and away, has looked the most complete player on the pitch in his time out there. So who hasn't taken their chances? I would say Alex Zendejas has fallen short of expectations. He seems to be trying too hard. Same with what we saw from Cade Cowell on the night. If they can both settle down and just play to their potential and use the players around them, they will get better. I think Aiden Morris and Alan Sonora both have struggled in the midfield too. The problem is, like I said earlier, these games I think do more to hurt your stock in the program than actually help it. If you can't shine in matches like this, you can't be trusted in bigger moments. But it's still early in the tournament. I don't think we should overreact to anything, whether it's been positive or not. Again, you just can't evaluate anything from this, so I don't think it's fair to completely write someone off based on two performances, and I also don't think it's fair to crown someone as breaking through to the A squad yet either. What I can say is, don't listen to Alexi Lalas's takes from the St. Kitts and Nevis match. The looks on Maurice Dew and Landon Donovan's faces were pretty funny. What I can promise you is this. I am not ever going to just make absurd takes for the sake of people hearing my voice or for clicks on Twitter. It's not good reporting. It's misleading to the general public. And it's hurting the perception of soccer in America. All right, 
Well, quickly into this final match coming up on Sunday evening in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I will get to attend the match in person as a media member, which will be an amazing experience in itself. But more importantly, for what should be an amazing final match day for the U.S. as they face off against Trinidad and Tobago. And as my father-in-law reminded me, this could be a revenge game since Trinidad and Tobago are the ones that eliminated the U.S. in their 2018 World Cup qualification. Now, I'm not going to go too far into this preview because I don't find it productive, but I expect the U.S. to start their strongest possible squad. Callahan has already said Turner will be back in goal and will start the rest of the way. I think you will see Neal continue to be in the starting defense with Reynolds on the right and either Matt Miazga, who's played well, or Miles Robinson, who's recovering from injury, alongside him. John Tolkien or Dewan Jones on the left will be a toss-up. Both have put in decent performances, but I don't think anyone's tilted the, 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 the you know, taken the starting role, I should say. In the midfield, more of Sands with Mihailovic and Buzio slotting in, and then a front line of Ferreira, Cowell, and Zendejas. The U.S. should win. Jamaica is going to trounce St. Kitts and Nevis the same way we did. We need to do the same to Trinidad and Tobago too. I expect us to. I predict a 4-0 victory, and that should be enough to earn the top spot in the group. And if the U.S. ends up first in Group A, then they will play in the quarterfinals on Sunday, July 9th in Cincinnati against the second-place team out of Group D, which should be Guatemala or Guadalupe. If the U.S. finishes second in the group, they're still going to play on Sunday the 9th in Cincy against the winner from Group D, which should end up being Canada in a rematch from the Nations League final. All right, enough of that. Let's move into the final thoughts of the week to wrap up today's conversation. Up first, we have transfer news for our U.S. men's national team players. Tim Weah has left Lille in the French League and will be joining Juventus in the Serie A. Lille will receive over 12 million euros for Weah, and it puts Weah in a position to thrive as a winger or wing back in Juve's system. It's a solid move for his situation. Elsewhere, in another solid move, Ricardo Pepe is moving to PSV Eindhoven in the Eredivisie with a transfer fee of 10 million euros going to his former club, Augsburg. Pepe thrived in the Dutch league last season while on loan with Groningen with 13 goals and will look to build on that with PSV and in European competitions. Now, those are the only two official moves at this point, but the rumor mill continues to be heavy on Christian Pulisic moving away from Chelsea with AC Milan and Leon leading the race, although it sounds like Chelsea's asking price continues to be too steep for the clubs. Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson continue to be linked with moves away from relegated Leeds United. Adams has been speculated to go to Aston Villa or Brighton, while rumor has it that Aronson could find a new home at Fulham. Yunus Musa is another player linked with a move away from Valencia, with AC Milan being the top suitor for his services. In fact, they agreed to personal terms late yesterday. Zach Steffen's been in the news this week, too, with Larry Henry of SBI Soccer reporting that recently relegated Leicester City are targeting him for a permanent move away from Man City. It also remains to be seen what will happen with Ballow, Serginho Dest, and Malik Tillman's situation, and whether or not Matt Turner decides to make a move away from, Chelsea, uh, from Arsenal on loan. 
So lots more to come in the next couple of weeks, if not days, as the official transfer window will open tomorrow on July 1st. In other U.S. soccer news, we have two friendlies officially confirmed for the FIFA international window in September as the U.S. will face off against Uzbekistan on September 9th in St. Louis and Oman on the 12th in Minnesota. They are ranked 74th and 73rd in the world, respectively. It's an extremely odd setup as both are part of the Asian Football Confederation and it'll be the first time facing off against each nation. I know it's a tough window to find opponents as other nations have World Cup qualifiers and other official tournaments, but this is a real head-scratcher to me. The U.S. has October friendlies against Germany and Ghana as added competition, at least, but it's still puzzling. At least Greg Berhalter's first two matches back in charge should be an easy win. Moving on, it was reported Thursday that the U.S. men have officially moved up to number 11 in the FIFA World Rankings. Argentina remains on top of the standings as the World Cup champions deserve. They are followed by France, Brazil, England, and Belgium in the top five. Croatia, Netherlands, Italy, who I should note at eighth in the world, have not qualified for the previous two World Cups, so these rankings mean absolutely nothing. And then Portugal and Spain round out the top 10. And last but not least today, a bit of a call to action of sorts, one I hate to have to make, but it's necessary to make in order to make this show even better. I truly appreciate all the support and the interactions over the past year with growing Soccer Pints and continuing to grow the audience and outreach. As we have become an accredited media member with U.S. Soccer and CONCACAF and soon-to-be FIFA, the access to the players and coaches and different media events has been incredible, but it all can't be done without the support from everyone involved in making this podcast so great. For those of you who have subscribed and contributed financially each month to the show, thank you so much. Every little bit helps. It doesn't go unnoticed. And as I promised in the very near future, there will be much more exclusive content for all subscribers, including future callouts and episodes, access to video conferences and discussions, merchandise, and much more. We're closing in on 2,000 downloads, which is wild to think about in such a short amount of time. I'm so excited about the future for this show and what we will be able to do, the locations we can go to to cover the national team, and everything in between. So if you are able to support the show, please do, whether that is financially or just sharing the podcast with other soccer lovers who you think could love the show too. You can go to the main Soccer Pines Buzzsprout website to find the link to show support. And soon we will be adding a Patreon account as well for even more exclusive content too. So again, thank you to everyone for supporting this podcast and for helping us grow as much as we have. All right, that's it for today's episode. Once again, and as always, I appreciate you for listening. Next week, we will cover the final match or recap it and go into what should be our quarterfinal matchups. We'll talk more about transfer news and rumors. If you have a question for the show and would like something specific to be discussed, please send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or email me directly at will.clark at thesoccerpines.com. Thanks again to Monday Night Brewing for allowing me to feature you this week. I'm looking forward to visiting the new location on Sunday in Charlotte. Until next time, cheers, my friends. <laughs>